I don't even know what we call ourselves. We're not we're not carpenters. We 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 almost identify more as like just artists. Like our slogan is actually we make art, not furniture. All right, so we have uh, our friend Colin here. Before we get into that, um, hit subscribe, press the like button, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and whatever uh, other podcast apps you people are listening to. Apparently, there's a whole bunch I don't know about. Um, but we got Cal, uh, Colin here and Gilmar, obviously. Here. But Colin's from Paramount Woodworking Company. Yeah, That's yeah the Paramount Woodco. Yep. Um, but you made it really easy to yeah. schedule this with you, so I appreciate that. Yeah, happy to be here. Um, it's uh, it's a small world. The fact that you're friends with Dale, it seems like everybody's friends with Dale. But uh, <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, Dale's Dale's joined the team. We're we're uh, we're having fun. So, how long have you been Paramount um, as a company? Um. Well, the. Probably, probably the right answer would be February 2020, a month before lockdown. Although it didn't start as just custom furniture, um, started totally by accident. Um, you know, before COVID, when we were getting close to lockdown and everybody was sort of, you know, freaking out, thinking the worst was going to happen. If you remember those couple months, um, I was really bored. I had recently you know, retired from my, my past career and, uh, um, and I was always sort of woodworking just for fun and, and messing around in my garage. My, my dad had a little wood shop in his, in his garage. My grandfather had one in his garage, my great grandfather. We were all just hobbyists. We were all just, you know, wanted to be savvy enough to be able to do things for ourselves. Mm. And, uh, so I, I was living in, in Doylestown borough. Um, and I had a little wood shop set up in my, in my garage and, uh, was just kind of tinkering, making stuff for myself, having fun. And, uh, sometime in January of 2020, my dad gives me a call who he, uh, he likes buying and selling real estate. Um, and, uh, he had recently sold a piece of property in Perksy to, uh, an attorney out of Philadelphia. And, um, and he said, you know, Colin, I was just talking with the new, the new homeowner, he heard that you, or he had seen, I forget how it actually came up, but he had seen some of the work that I had done just for myself mm-hmm. and he was interested and he wants you to make him a bar for, you know, like NFL Sundays with his boys. And, uh, and I told him, you know, speaking as my, my father, you know, he said, I told him that you don't really do that, um, for a living. You just kind of do it for fun. I'm not sure if, you know, he'll do it for you, but you can ask him. And it was right at the time where everything was shutting down. Everything was slowing down right before, I think it was like, what, first or second week of March, everything like shut down. Yeah. And I was just bored. And, um, and I went over there and I was like, yeah, I'll talk to him. You know, maybe, maybe this is something, you know, a little hustle and, you know, a little project here and fun. And I was, I was so wrong. I mean, it turned into a whole thing, but <laughs> <laughs> it was like, I went over there, I looked at, it. I mean, first of all, it was like a sweet property, super cool farm, um, the, the, the place where he wanted to put it was this old metalsmith shop. The problem was it was, like, as good as outdoors. I mean, there were holes in the walls. It was, like, I mean, the place has got to be over 150 years old. It's super yeah. old. And, um, and uh, you know, borderline falling apart. But I saw he had some vision. He was willing to spend a little bit of money. What he was describing to me, you know, he wanted this live-edge bar with, with a keg and, and, you know, really doing it up uh, proper. Um, but he just wanted a bar. And I said, you know, um, 
it's a cool idea. And, and to be honest with you, I'd love to do it for you. I, th I think it'd be a fun project, but if you put, you know, what we're talking about in the space, give it, you know, <laughs> three months, six months, a year, two years, it's going to be destroyed because this yeah. is as good as just sitting outside. Just from the moisture. Yeah. The moisture, the weather. I mean, you know, it was like the kind of place where if it, it, it rained a lot, it, there'd probably be, a, you know, puddles in the floor. Mm. Um, so I said, you know, just by chance, I have my general contractor's license. I could renovate this whole place for you. And, um, and, you know, we could do whatever kind of bar you want. Truth of the matter was, is this close enough, by the way? No, just bring it up a lot more. All right. <laughs> I, th I think it's been like it's slowly falling. <laughs> I guess my uh, my skill set here ran out, <laughs> sagged, but uh, I think we're good now. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. So uh, I said, you know, I've got my general contractor's license. I can, I can just renovate this place for you. Um, <laughs> and the truth of the matter was, I didn't have my general contractor's license, but I knew how to get it and I knew I could do it pretty quickly and I had some history in it. Um that's like when you ask somebody be like, oh did you <laughs> did you go get the two by fours and you're like, yeah I got them but they're still at the store. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like I have that just in the future I yeah. have it so technically yeah. it's mine. It's not on me yet. Yeah. Yeah. I will have it <laughs> very soon. Um so you like coughed. You're like I have them. <laughs> I have it, yeah. Yeah. Um, That's legit. So so my dad does the, reno, you know, renovation. So, I've been, you know, I wouldn't have done it if, if I didn't know all of his, you know, vetted subcontractors of decades. Like, I know them all by first name basis. Mm. You know, it's not like we he bids out projects like these are his guys. Yeah. So I knew that, you know, that part of it was going to be easy. And it was just about management. And, and I was kind of playing with the idea, like, do I get in general contracting before that? And I just saw this as an opportunity to do it. And um, so I said, yeah, you know, I've got my general contractor's license. I could do that. So in the three weeks that it took to, you know, get all the subs over there, bid it out, you know, figure out where we were at for the budget, present it to the client. In that three weeks, I did all these expedited courses on getting my general contractor's license, setting up a corporation online, setting up basically what at the time was custom by Junction, which Junction, my, my name, my full name is John Colin Thompson. So JCT, like a road junction. Okay. <laughs> it was actually my old gamer tag, like Fred Junction uh, was my old gamer <laughs> tag. That's where it like originated. Um, and we were going to do some custom work. So that's where it came from. And uh, um, so we bid the job. It ended up being, you know, $120,000 project and I got it. Um, and all my licenses and approvals and everything came through two days before he wrote the check and signed the contract. Damn. So it was very lucky. Um, so you had a, you you got the paperwork so that you could go to the bank to open the checking account <laughs> to put the check in because otherwise, like no numbers, like you're not you're not set Dude, up. When I tell you, I walked into the bank with my <laughs> with my documents of formation for the business to open up a bank account and the check for my first job all at the same time. And the bank manager was like, we usually don't see this where a customer has <laughs> like a job sale, of especially this size, like before. Yeah, that's an account. that is impressive. <laughs> Um, but it, it was just, it, it seems like a natural direction for me to go at the time. And, um, I did it. The project went great. We had a, we had a really good time doing it. Um, and, uh, the client was super happy. I had a blast. But, uh, what I realized at the end of this, and I know that you general contract yeah. and I have so much respect for that because after one job, I was like, God, I'm worn out. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. <laughs> like <laughs> it's, um, it's definitely, it's one of those jobs that's like extremely rewarding, but you have to. You have to like choose to appreciate the reward because yeah. it's so easy. There's been times where I wanted to quit 
because of how much it just sucks. But then like you get the you get a, you either make it to the next lily pad or somebody reminds you why you're doing it or you yeah. just like come out of your your hole. But everybody I know in this business um, at one point or another is like, dude, this sucks. I want to quit. No matter if you're making money or not. I know plenty of people that were making great money. Yeah. They're just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Because yeah. it's just like it's you're literally just said general contracting. You're just kind of setting yourself up to be there for everything that goes wrong. Like you're that's what your job yeah, is just that, to solve. That's problems. how it felt. <laughs> um, we uh, you know it went smooth as well. Like there were no real issues at all. Mm. Um, uh, we got it done pretty quick. It was it was a fairly involved project. And um, what was like the most taxing part of like that whole experience? Um, managing the subcontractors was easy because. You had good guys, yeah. We had good guys. There was no questions about that. Um, I knew we, you know, if he went out and he bidded it elsewhere, he could probably get it done cheaper just because of the guys that we were using. I knew that they weren't going to be the least expensive option, but there was value with that. And I'm sure, you know, I know you do higher end stuff, so you probably see that all the time. Like they're, they're typically, it doesn't, it doesn't always hold true, but they're usually you find, you know, diamonds in the rough where you can get someone who doesn't realize like, how much more they could charge and you use that to your advantage in business. But when you want people like after you have a bad experience with a subcontractor and then you find one that's like not going to give you that same experience and you have to pay more. Yeah. That's not, then you're like totally willing to do it. And those, those less expensive guys that are super talented never last because they they either they they either either go out of business or yeah yeah. there's that or Or they they, get themselves in a jam or something realize their worth and their value goes up to probably you know fair market value for their 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 work for sure so busy i would definitely agree with that usually you don't see someone with like a prolonged value like that yeah it's like they're doing a really good job and then they just one day it clicks like i could charge a little bit more yeah. And then a little bit turn like what ends up happening with us when we find those little diamonds is they ended up like working out really well for like three, four, maybe more projects. Yeah. But then they end up like pricing themselves out of the project because mm. their price goes so high where it's like you can't you add a little bit here and there. Yeah. But if like we've had bids where you come in and you're like, we just built a house. We just finished a house where you did it for yeah. half this. And they're Same like, thing. well, that and you're like, all right. Like, sorry, but you want to do work with them, but yeah, it's a, it's a weird balance. That's why, like, I kind of, I mean, I appreciated the fact that you recognize that, like, hey, I have this network of people that I kind of know already. So it's not all about money with contracting, especially with subs. Like, you have to build a relationship with a lot of them because if they're good and they're charging, even if they're charging the most money out of anybody, if they're good, they're in high demand still. So then you've got to get on their schedule. Yeah. And that's, that's not an easy feat either. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I went in, um, you know, with the mindset to that job that, you know, this this isn't me just trying to, you know, hustle up, you know, a good payday on this job. It was more of like this could be, you know, uh, a pivotal career change for me and I want to take it serious and I want to build a good reputation. And, you know, all these subcontractors were, were referred by my dad and, and I, you know, I didn't want to, do anything to affect that relationship. So, um, you know, I was just grateful for the opportunity, grateful to the, the customer happy because it was a really fun project. It was taking this old, you know, metal smithing barn that hadn't been used for really anything for, um, 
God, I mean, I, I think I looked it up the last time it was actually occupied, and it was, I mean, it was the early 1900s, the last time anything happened in that barn. Damn. Um, so it's just cool to bring it back to life and, and, and you know, give it some kind of purpose, and, and it's it's a sweet spot now. Do you have pictures of that in, like, your early Instagram? Yeah, if you... um Scroll for yes, seven hours. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I started posting reels, so maybe maybe not that far, but you might have to scroll a little bit. Um. So you made the bar, and the bar was obviously, like, what started the whole thing. And then, like, after that, like, project was over, was it, like, a pretty easy, was it pretty, like, seamless? Actually, if you stop right there, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. But that picture in the middle on the right, that door right there. So this is kind of in the project here. So if you scroll all the way to the right, you'll see what it started as. Oh, that was the entry. And did you make that door? Yep. We made that out of some cedar. We repurposed the hinges. Um, They were so twisted up, we could only really use two of them. You could see on top and bottom, but the middle ones we still put on there. just didn't mount the... uh, um, yeah, the, the, the frame side, but then we, we, uh, we found a local metal Smith that was fantastic that forged those handles, um, really threw that together. You know, that, that was cool. And then, yeah, um, for saying that was thrown together, that looks really well executed. <laughs> Thank you. It was, it was, it <laughs> was really thrown project. together and doesn't look like <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. I, I, meant, I meant more in the sense of, you know, like the metal Smith had his role. I, I do a little bit of old restoration of hardware. That was, you know, me taking the hinges and then building the actual door and then, uh, the glass company coming in and fitting the, the window there. And it was, did you hire any employees at this point or was it just no, you managing no. the guys? No, I was way too broke for that. I, uh, um, just me. And I had some friends of mine that were, you know, um, uh, you know, one was a framer and the other one just sort of did whatever. And they helped me do some sanding and, and, uh, just found good people to help me out. But all the woodworking, um, I, I did that by myself. So if you, if you exit out of that one and you go to, um, let's see, if you scroll down and the, on the left side there, that's the main bar. I actually took, we bought that bar out of Philly and, uh, I restored it, mounted that copper footrest on there. Mm. Um, and then built like a platform for it. Yep. Yeah. We leveled it. Um, brought that back to life and, uh, and got that in there. He was from Philly. So he really wanted a piece of like Philadelphia history in there. That looks really cool. So we found that that was awesome. Um, a lot, lot more than I thought to restore it, but it was, it was well worth it. Um, and then we built this whole big cabinetry set behind. We had, um, Bob's worldwide stereo come in and mount this insane sound system and, uh, and TV setup and everything. I mean, they 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 put in this crazy system in that in that space. That still, the whole point was to make this space still look old, mm. but like have performance. So you know, in some of the other photos, you'll see uh, we had a um, uh, a turntable or a, or a record player. Um, you know that I built a stand for, and it all kind of hides in, and it had a more rustic case on it, and the subwoofer that powers it below was hidden. So everything in the space was meant to be, like, really hidden. And you ma- you made all this stuff specifically yeah. for this project. Yeah, that's the, that's the um, right there is the um, uh, cabinetry set that I did. And that's, that's solid walnut framed with birch um, uh, cabinetry and then live-edge walnut. And did you just leave um, it like in a natural finish like that? Uh, yeah, just like a tongue oil on it. Mm. Yep. And then the holes in the lower cabinet are actually where all the electronics are that power the entire space. 
that's just for heat transfer. So this was this was a little over two years ago, or about two years ago. Yeah, yeah. They're the what seventy two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Damn. So that's how it all started. And then as soon as I finished this project, although I had fun, I realized I um I don't want a general contract, and yeah. I want to make furniture. And um, so I picked up the guy actually in the photo right to the right of that one. Um, Ryan is his name. He's my um. Uh, still to this day, he's with us, uh, lead woodworker. I mean, he's probably the most talented woodworker I've ever met. Um, yeah. And uh, he's he's got a lot more experience than me, and it's 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 a really cool atmosphere that we've we've been able to create over there at, at our our shop in in um, Solberry now because it's now there's four of us, and it's it's really like a, just a collection of you know. I don't even know what we call ourselves. We're not we're not carpenters. We 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 almost identify more as like just artists. Like our slogan is actually we make art, not furniture. But it's more, you know, um, taking fundamental. You guys are like craftsmen. Yeah, you're that's not probably really, a good you're term. Not, or like artisans might be too proper. Yeah, I but mean, I would know. think when I think of like a craftsman, like you're. Yeah. You're. I don't. Know. We like just have you, fun with it, you yeah. know. Yeah, I mean, some of the pieces you put out. Um, that's kind of like what I was going to ask, like why I was asking like how long or how did this all start? Cause some of the pieces you've put out um, would take an immense amount of skill and knowledge to kind of produce the products you're producing. Did like how soon into Paramount did you start like leaning on other people's expertise like this other gentleman? So um, well, right away because I, I have a no ego rule in my shop. So like, you know, in me, Ryan, anybody else that works, you know, in the shop, there's like, we're all there to learn and get better. And, you know, no matter how many years of experience, no matter, you know, what kind of talent level you have, you come in there, you bring your talent, but you're always open to a discussion. And, uh, you know, so Ryan will ask me questions. I'll ask Ryan questions. We'll all have a roundtable discussion. And when we're designing a piece for someone, you know, the clients, we've sort of, our sort of um, philosophy when we work with clients is like, let's identify, you know, the dimensions that we're going to be creating. You know, let's, let's just stick with tables because tables are easy. Um, you know, let's say you want a dining table for six people. Okay, well, this is the size that a six-person dining table is. How wide do you want it? Well, there's a little bit of a range in there. So let's let's identify like sort of the, the fixed, you know, um, Limits. elements yeah. of it. You know, so like this is the dimension you want the base metal or wood? Okay, metal. You want the top, you know, hardwood. You, you want it with resin. You want it, you know, uh, what are you looking for? And what's the style that you want to go for? Do you want it to be more like a farm table? Do you want it to be a really ultra-modern resin table? You know, um, so let's identify a few things. You know, let's make sure we keep budget in mind. And um, and then, you know, species of wood or a color of, of wood. If you don't know the wood species, a lot of our clients, you know, aren't going to know what a lot of wood species species are that they have to choose from. Um, and then we really ask our clients to just sort of trust us. And if you hate it, we'll, we won't charge you, but we promise you won't hate it. <laughs> and <laughs> and, um, and uh, that's really how we've tried to build our relationship with our customers. Um, and, uh, and it's been great. We've never had to, you know, not take payment. And, <laughs> and, uh, um, and it's been fun. We started, uh, I started dabbling with resin right away, actually. Um, and it was just something that always interested me. There was there was a, a YouTube channel called Black Forest um, Wood Company that that um, did these resin pieces that I always watched on YouTube, and I was just I was amazed by it. I thought it was the coolest thing. 
And um, yeah, epoxy resin is one of those things that's really awesome to watch. But once you get into it, oh, it's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, <It's, laughs> I tell people all the time, like our conference room table and the other room is epoxy <laughs> table, and it was a mistake. <laughs> and like people are like, "What do you mean it was a mistake?" I was like, "This was supposed to go to a customer." And it just, like, we weren't happy with it. It's really nice table. Um, but we jumped right in feet first, and we were like, damn, this epoxy stuff is not. We made a couple samples, and then we made the table. Yeah. And then we had to make a second table. So Expensive mistake, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But it was, um, it when everybody sees that stuff, I always tell them, I'm like, dude, like, just go in, wade into the water, yeah. like, slowly. You don't want to just... Why, like the people that do it well make it look so easy. I did a lot of research before I ever tried to do it. And mm. I've made mistakes. It just, I got lucky. The first one I did was, came out like, oh man, it came out good. If, if you actually go back, it was right next to that photo actually. Um, it's, uh, uh, scroll down a little bit. It was right there. Um, scroll down a little bit farther. You'll see it's um, like, yeah, that one. Uh, so this That's piece right in the right if you scroll down a little bit more, I think there might be full images of it, but it's, um, uh, man, it, we got, I think I just got lucky, but it, that thing came out perfect. And, uh, um, we ended up selling that to uh, a local, a local client. Um, and, uh, that was my first attempt. Maybe it was higher. I'm not, uh, honestly, I don't even uh, know my you, own social you're media. You're doing a great job. <laughs> um, but this was our first piece that we did. And, uh, it, it was, um, a desk actually um, that went into the CEO of Johnson and Johnson's office. And um, where did it go? The uh, CEO's office. Yeah. Of yeah. The guy's name is Alex Gorski. He actually lives in Peddler's village. Very nice family. Um, and they had heard about us through um, uh, their interior designer. And they asked us to make, you know, I think we did three pieces for them, but um, that was my first attempt at resin and it's a uh, maple burl with resin and then the base or the brace for the whole thing. Cause I was so nervous that I didn't know what the resin was going to do. So I made the solid mahogany brace, you know, so over the years, I, was, I don't know why I just thought, what if it cups or what if it curves up or what, it I don't know happen. what it'll do. Yeah. So, um, I made a brace of solid mahogany brace on both sides underneath it. It looks stunning and, and it, and it just keeps everything dead flat. It made me feel better. And then a metal X base underneath that. It just, it, it came out great. It was, it was slick. And, uh, and then we had our mistakes after that. <laughs> <We've> yeah, <laughs> the first one went great. We're like, we got this. Oh, I went way too confident to my second or third one after that. And I just, yeah. Yeah, the most difficult one we've done, and I have like all the 4K like iPhone video from the, I, I don't even know how many attempts this one piece we did. Uh, we did a waterfall. Like, so we built the bar out of the walnut and then mitered the, walnut i love those and then built the form for the resin out of like plexiglass and poured the pour so it was a continuous pour oh you didn't all the cut way the up. miter after mm. and was that the right way to do it uh did it work it it worked eventually oh okay we had problems <laughs> you're building up to a failure <laughs> yeah i mean we had we we probably lost four times the amount of resin on the shop floor than what it actually took to do it. Cause like we kept having like all the resins pouring over the edge and sitting on the entire form. And we made it plexiglass so that we could actually see what was like the failures yeah. and things. And like the first couple times it leaked real bad, 
then finally we rebuilt the form, got it sealed with like marine <laughs> grade, like like use in water for emergency sealant. Yeah. And that took like another level of finishing when we got down to like the finishing phase of like the wood. But we were able to pour like a continuous pour. So like the wood was mitered, but the epoxy was not. So like sure. it literally became like a structural piece. And that um, looked amazing cool. when it was like done, but it wasn't worth the effort that we put into it. So I think that's a, a unique level, new level of anxiety that only people that work with resin can understand when it starts leaking out. Mm. You have... You're just panicking. Negative time to deal with it. <laughs> You're <laughs> trying to plug it. And I mean, yeah, we've all been there. And it's a very expensive mistake that is compounding every second. You know, re good resin's $200 a gallon. I mean, it just flows and flows and flows. And you're just watching it leak out yeah. on the floor, and you're like, ah, oh, what am I ever going to do? Oh. <laughs> um, but those big companies, like, that you see that do it, like Jeff Mack Designs yeah. is one that's really big. They they have their forms made from silicone. So they don't yeah. build forms anymore. Yes. Yeah, they that. build your table to fit in one of their hard, like, plastic form, yeah. like forms. So they don't ever have any leaks. Smart. And they just clamp everything down. I saw that. I'm like, all right, well, how much are these forms? And I started looking at the forms, and they were thousands of oh, dollars. Yeah. And I was like, all right, well, we're going to keep building out of melamine <laughs> and having leaks. But I, I, I still <laughs> do I still do melamine. We just did um, a conference table. Um, it was our biggest pour yet. It's three and a half inches thick, 11 and a half feet long, and 48 inches wide. And how much epoxy was that? Like uh, how many gallons do you think? Like 35 gallons. Yeah. And, um, and it, it went... Perfect. Uh, luckily, I, and I, you build I, it on a strong table, obviously. Uh, so, what's funny about that is, is I mentioned we're under renovation, so we have no space available. Like everything that is in the area where we're, so we're in, we're in the basement level right now, and we're expanding to the main floor. And uh, so everything that was on the main floor that we were storing there just to get it out of the shop is now in the shop and we have like no space. So when we went to do this pour, we were at a workbench space to do it. And we have a relatively small resin and finish room where we can keep climate and humidity controlled. And um, so we were at a workbench in that space and all we had was like this floor space that is completely in the way of everything. So what we did was we, um, we just jointed up a bunch of four foot long two by fours. So they were relatively flat and, uh, and laid them down every, I don't know, eight inches and just had 11 and a half feet of two by fours, put down MDF, set up the mold, put the wood in, poured the resin right on the floor. Yeah. Essentially. Basically. Yeah. yeah like decked yeah. up. The That's only reason awesome. we, we got it up is because we put fans on it to blow air below and above, mm. um, to get the heat moving. But, uh, Man, yeah, resin is a stressful world. It's uh That's I'm glad <laughs> like we're it's like serving in the military, but not as <laughs> not as intense. Not it's as like, honorable. We're <laughs> resin brothers. Like yeah. resin brothers. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, because everybody's like, Oh, I'm gonna try that. I'm like, please don't don't ever say that. Yeah. Child. <laughs> um another question I had for you, because of like um like how old are you? Twenty eight. Twenty eight. So like you're you're young over relativity. Yeah, like, less by the year. Yeah. 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 You're getting old. Yeah, I got you. I don't you. know if you know that. <laughs> um, you you seem like you seem very mature or like you like people your age or two years ago when you're 26, like don't approach things with such like grace. Like you seem like you approach this whole thing as like, 
I'm just going to like see where this wave takes me, but I'm still going to be professional and take it as seriously, even if I don't end up doing this. Like, where did that come from? I think probably a lot of trauma. Um, Okay. um, No, I have no idea, man. I have no idea. I, um, (laughs) I, uh, I fucking knew it. I just try to enjoy the things that, you know, I wake up and do every day. And, you know, um, I think if you talk to, if, if my, if my girlfriend was sitting here, she would probably tell you that I don't approach a lot of things with such grace, but, um, that's what they're for. Um, you just tell them to be quiet. Yeah. Girlfriends. <laughs> Girlfriends. Always getting in the way of our grace. <laughs> just guys trying to do guy stuff. <laughs> yeah, let me make this resin table and be yeah. mad about it yeah. when it pours yeah. all over the floor. Yeah. yeah. She I, she walked in while I was doing a, uh, a resin pour and like it was leaking and instead of dealing with the leak right away, I just threw the hammer across the wall and like <laughs> put a hole in the, in the, in the, uh, you know, the sheetrock and, and she's like, now what did that accomplish? I was like, that step one into fixing the problem. <laughs> now I'm going to fix the problem. <laughs> I'll fix that problem later. <laughs> That's awesome. What did you do? What did you do before for like work before you started word working? Um, so, uh, at six, 16, 17, um, something around that mix. Um, I grew up racing cars okay. and, um, I did it as a hobby from five years old. Um, and at 15, I, um, I won this nationwide championship totally by accident. Like genuinely, I was going there just to kind of see how I stacked up and I won. And, um, the award for that was a pro license. And, um, so I got very lucky and, um, what car, what class of car, like, what were you racing? Yeah. So that was, um, a go-kart championship. Um, and, uh, um, and that got me a signed ride in um, this series called Volkswagen TDI Cup, which was a Volkswagen manufacturer-hosted, televised, professional championship in Volkswagen Jettas. And it was the lamest car in the world, but it was so fun mm-hmm. to compete. And it was, it was like my first experience of... Um, uh, just sort of pro level racing. And I, I, I did horrible in that championship. I mean, I was 15. I was, I was the youngest, the, the age range was actually, uh, 17 to 28. And the only reason they allowed me was because we had to submit and get the special like approval. I was 15. And I mean, I didn't even have my driver's license when I won the championship. And, um, (laughs) uh, look look how well he can drive. He can't even (laughs) drive on the street. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so it, it just it just was was luck, honestly. And uh, I think out of twenty five, um, it started at seven thousand drivers competing, and then it went down. And like we did this final competition round um, of fifty, and the top thirty were going to get signed, and the last five of that thirty, so uh, we're going to be reserve drivers. So the twenty five were actively competing, and I finished like twenty third, like I just barely made it, and. Um, so we, we, we did that year. I learned a lot. Um, and, uh, and then I just kept on going, uh, racing and, and, uh, I started competing. I got signed by Porsche. Um, and, and this is all domestic in the United States or is this like overseas? Mostly, um, at 18, I want to say I, um, I started doing some competitions in Germany for Porsche and, uh, I went on to work with them, uh, between the Audi R8 program and the Porsche GT3 for, um, quite a few years, five years, maybe. Um, 
that went really well. Ended up winning two different championships nationally with them. Um, and then I got signed by McLaren and drove the 570S GT3. Um, and we won the championship in that. And then, and then I started driving a prototype car, which is like, if you ever watch endurance racing, like 24 hours Daytona, mm. that's, that's the, the, um, the, uh, the series that I was competing in. And, um, and we won that in a, in a prototype car. So, uh, it, it just was a killer run four years, uh, back to back to back to back, um, championships and, uh, in four different cars. And um, after four years of the really solid four years, I just fell out of love with it. And um, the big problem for me was I was watching friends of mine I was really close with getting bought out by um, families that just had a lot of money. Mm. And I didn't want to be a victim of that first and foremost. But That's I also like what's his wanna... name in Formula One, the Russian dude. Oh, who? Uh, Mazarpin. No, the other Mazarpin. guy who's Stroll? like, who's, yeah, who, who Lance was... Stroll. He's Lance actually Stroll? Canadian. Oh, really? His yeah. dad paid $83 million his first season so that he could be a Formula One driver because he wasn't qualified. And he said, well, how much is it to run the car for a year? Yeah. Jim said, no, there's like the, also the Russian guy who can't race this year because they were, like, embargoed uh, from Formula I thought One. thought it was Mazepin. Is that Mazepin? I'm pretty sure. A Nikita? Nikita. Right? Yeah. He's just like, yes, it's in, not in the cards this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Nikita Mazepin, you're right. Yeah. This kid. That wasn't okay. his name wasn't Russian enough. I was looking for like a Stolov. Or something. A Stolov. <laughs> so you're you're racing in like the Rolex Cup series yeah. type cars and dude, what was that like? It was killer. I mean it was like the coolest experience of my life. So you didn't like did you get homeschooled and then didn't go to college? Like how that So um I grew up in Perksy, I went to Penridge. Okay. Um graduated in two thousand twelve. I finished my schooling there. Um, never, never had to go homeschool. Just had really cool teachers. To be honest with you, they, uh, I was lucky how many of them were really supportive of what I did. So you would just be like the kid that would show up like sometimes, and then they would just give you assignments and be like, "All right, cool. He, he's racing. He doesn't have to be here." <laughs> like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's um, because uh, then you still got to do like the whole like school experience. I did, yeah. Um, and I did a year of college. Um, I went to college up in up in New York in Poughkeepsie at Marist, and um. Uh, that was a great year. I met some of my best friends that I have today there. And, uh, I just, um, after a year, I sort of had to make a decision cause I was going to school for psychology, believe it or not. Mm. And, um, and I, I realized that, you know, college, the structure of college probably wasn't for me cause I was a big, like learn by boots on the ground, like hands on. You were a race car driver. I was a race car driver. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <And> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just wanted to be hands on with as much as I could. And, uh, and that's how I learned how to woodwork. That was how I learned how to drive. That was how I learned how to do everything. And um, uh, me sitting in a classroom and someone telling me what I should know just didn't, it didn't stick with me. If I went out and I, and I, and I put my hands on it and I worked on it, I could pick it up quick. I, I, I knew that, but. Um, you needed your, like, you needed to follow your curiosity. I also knew, yeah. yeah. I, I knew that, you know, if I wanted a, a potential at this career that I never imagined being on my you know on my plate this was going to be it and I had to chase it and I had to take it very seriously so I stopped everything and I just was training around the clock you know both physically and also you know um, like testing on the track being in racing simulators like just really taking it seriously and um, it led to some years of success and uh, and uh, yeah and then and then after that last year where I said listen like I'm either going to 
to get a very, very good long-term contract that I can live with or I'm leaving the sport. And Because um, you were just like hopping from one thing every year. Yeah, and that wasn't a bad thing, and that's not necessarily unusual. I just, um, 10 years ago, that wouldn't have mattered. That would have been a good thing. Like, you're in a different car every year. That's awesome. Like, all these teams want you. But now there were so many families, and I think this is true in most sports. Like, you read about, you know, the NCAA with teams being paid off because they're, you know, they want their, you know, kid to play football at UCLA or something. And and um, it was... I think it's a similar situation to where you're watching these these ultra-wealthy families come in, drop millions of dollars, and, I mean, literally putting friends of mine on unemployment because they, they were, last year they were the champion. Because their you know, kid wanted to race it. Porsches. Yeah. yeah, and now now he's, you know, he's not driving. He's, he's sitting at home um, because, uh, you know, some, some, some guy wanted to buy out the family and the teams were entertaining it because they were making a ton of money. So, you know, it mm. was, it was sad. And, um, so you felt like rather than like have that happen to you, yeah. you actively chose like, I'm going to try something new. Yeah. That's, a, I mean, it was a hard decision to make, like yeah. leaving it, especially my last year I, I was champion and I was, I was champion in a car that had, um, it was the first like specific model of that car ever created. So there was no expectations for that car. We were competing against um, another manufacturer. So it's 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 kind of hard to explain in, in pr the prototype world because you're not going to understand the name. It's not like Porsche and Audi and McLaren, but it was a, it was the equivalent of like McLaren and Ferrari, you know. And 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 you know Ferrari had been dominating for all these years, and this new company that nobody had ever heard of came in, and there were no expectations at all. And I said, okay, like I'll. Let's give it a go. Let's see what we can do. And I knew I had, like, the best engineers behind me. It was the same engineers that I'd had for years. I took them team to team. They were wizards. They were these Dutch guys that were just unbelievable. And we worked really well together, and we and we re-engineered the entire car. First, like, four or five races, we just sucked. Like, we, we could barely – I think we didn't even finish two of the races. And uh, and we ended up getting the car just flying, and we, we just – we dominated. And then – Coming out of that year, you know, as such a high and, and um, deciding to, you know, sort of just take a step back and look at other things in my life that I wanted to pursue was tough because I wanted to keep on racing, of course. Like, it was a killer life. But um, I I also, I didn't I didn't really, um, you know, really. <laughs> so you want to do it? Just fix it. Fall it again, dude. It. That shit always falls. <laughs> <laughs> we need Thank to you. tape it. <laughs> we need some duct tape, dude. Yeah, I, 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 I I didn't even notice it until it was like back in my lap. <laughs> Everybody's Thanks. like, what is that? Well, you guys you guys are both handy here. Do something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do something. That's why I'm here. I'm not here to talk, actually. I'm here stuff. to fix the leg, yeah. yeah. We heard you were a race car driver, and these are race car microphones. So. Yeah. All right, very cool. Um, like, we'll get back to, like, the woodworking thing. But, have like, have you – you've obviously crashed – yeah, um, I have. I. It's probably easier to name the bones that I have not broken. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. What's like the fast? Well, like, give us like one. Like, what's your worst wreck scenario? Like, going fast or just wet laps? Like, oh uh, no, this is easy. Um, I was driving the McLaren, and um, we were at this track in Alabama called um, Barber Motorsports Park. It's an Indy car track, and um, beautiful, beautiful course. And I was coming around a corner, a banked corner, and um, 
it's actually on YouTube somewhere. Um, the uh, the suspension uh, failed and the steering rack snapped. It was like two things failed that were super uncommon all at the same time. And um, you could just see me take my hands off the wheel because like the safe thing to do when you're about to hit the wall, you don't want to be touching the wheel. It'll break your wrist. I, I did that. I broke my wrist. This sucks. <laughs> and, um, and you just hold and you just like, oh, this is going to suck. And, it, and you hit the wall and I, I probably hit it going like 120. Damn. And, um, and I, the thing is, is usually you can slow down quite a lot, but it was, I was like sliding over wet grass. So mm. I just smacked the wall. I didn't slow down at all. Um, yeah. I mean, good luck finding it. I, I, I could send it to you guys later. It's, yeah. I, I think it's going to be really hard looking it up. But yeah, um, you said Alabama. Yeah. Did you want to double at your, <laughs> it might be hard. All right. Let's, let's McLaren see. crash, Alabama. Yeah. What's the name of the raceway? Look up, um, type in my name. And then type in, um, just type like Colin Thompson Racing. Maybe that'll, that'll pop it up. If that doesn't work, I'll just scroll down a little bit. Scroll down. This one? No, I crashed there. <laughs> 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 so that's the inside of the P3 car. It's, uh, yeah, it's crazy. That's awesome. I guess we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll watch it yeah, later. We'll, we'll, it. we'll, we'll it clip later. it in. Yeah. Damn! Look at that! Look at that guy! Yeah, yeah, we'll throwback. <laughs> seven years ago. Look at that guy! Seven years ago. You could, can yeah. you sign my helmet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. um, yeah. That's awesome, dude. That's that's um, dude. I'm happy for you that you had that like, just very unique experience. Um, yeah. But uh, I guess getting back in like to the woodworking stuff, how did you like? How do you? find clients like how are you cultivating clients for like these one-off pieces of furniture yeah so um i hate sales with a passion i did car sales for uh i don't know a year i hated it um anytime i'm trying to sell somebody something i i don't know why even if i if i truly believe the value and everything i just feel bad like taking someone's money i don't want to do it so um I'm probably That's the not worst uncommon. person. That, a lot of people feel that way. Yeah. They're just like the think, awkwardness around selling. It takes yeah. years to get used to that. Yeah. And, and, and I, ne I never really, I, at least I still haven't really seemed to do that. Um, you know, but as far as actually acquiring the clients, I've been very fortunate that, you know, a lot of it actually through motorsports, I just meeting that sort of crowd there they um when they heard that's what i was doing they were they were jumping over and like wanted to support and they're very supportive with that that was that was really cool um well i guess that speaks a lot to how you behaved or like how you you know handled that responsibility in that profession because like if you were a stand-up guy in racing and then you go and you start making you know live edge bedside tables people are like <laughs> oh well he was good at this and was like you know, a good, like, speaking of, like, he was, you know, polite or honest or whatever, like, he'll probably do this well, too. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I I hope that translates to some degree. I try to be a decent person as best I can, hmm. um, you know, and uh, I think, I think you know, it, it, it was a lot of support from that industry. Um, 
it's funny, like at the beginning, my parents and my girlfriend's parents were like my best salespeople. They were going out and like, they were like hunting down people. And I was like, ah, like we're busy enough. We got one project. Like, you know, in the early days, like we got one project on our, on our table. I'm good. I don't need to think about another project. Like I I got this one. And, uh, you know, and then a week later I'm done with it. I'm like, oh, I got, I need to do something else. Um, but you know, what I started learning was with specifically with the furniture design, if I could connect myself with interior design groups that sort of not any interior design groups, but interior design groups that meshed with what our vision is. So, you know, one, we do higher, higher end stuff. You know, we're not exactly a, you know, a very budget place to, to go shop for furniture. Um, so, you know, finding one that, you know, kind of the first step is just, does the demographic make sense? And then the second step would be, well, you know, does their vision with, with what they, you know, their style mesh with our style and our style is a little bit all over the place. We do some, some historic stuff. We do some, you know, more modern stuff. Um, but it's all very natural. Like we don't, we don't ever, um, stray away from the natural lines of the wood. We don't try to make it look too over-processed, like, you know, finding, finding interior designers that sort of match with that, that design vision, at least that direction, um, was important for us. And we've been able to identify a few of those groups and they've been invaluable to, to setting up, you know, new client relationships. Um, and, uh, and that, that's really today. It's just relationships with designers. All relationships. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. So basically, would you say a, a large majority of what you make ends up being like a focal point to what they're designing or do you create, you know, like what percentage of items are you creating that are like the focal point versus items that are, you know, awesome, but they're a part of like the whole design? Yeah. I'm still waiting for um, us to do a project where, you know, we really like do multiple pieces within the same space. I think that could, that has really cool potential to sort of, you know, make, make uh you know a room or or a space just super super unique um but for the most part what we've done i would say pretty 50 50 we've done um we've done a lot of pieces that have turned into the the focal point especially when you're dealing with like you know the first thing people think about when they think about custom furniture or especially resin is tables and i mean we do all kinds of furniture but tables are certainly the most common to sell and just by you know just naturally by how it, a table is and where it is in a, a space, it and becomes the, purpose the focal is, point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Do you do you brand your products or leave some sort of signature on them so that, like, someday if you're famous, people can, <laughs> like, identify you like George Nakashima? <laughs> Man, I hope so. Um, uh, even a fraction of that. But um, we brand every piece, um, and we actually, whoever was the lead on the project will sign it underneath and date it mm. like a piece of art. So, um yeah, we try to try to do our part, um, you know, to the, br- the branding's fun, actually, because it's, uh, you know, we, we take like an old iron sort of brand with, you know, with our our logo on it and like he- heat up with a torch and like press it in. It's actually pretty cool because did you do you use like the electric one that's like a soldering yeah. iron or you just like you torch it? I don't think the electric ones get get hot enough. And um, and also I, I don't. I don't know. I like I like the effect of the fire on it. Like it gives it much more of a yeah, there's the brand right there. Um, that's one of the two that we use and, uh, it just gives it, um, it's very subtle. Yeah. It's very subtle. And we sand it down after we brand it. So it's like, you know, it's, I think it looks pretty clean. Yeah. 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 You don't want to like, 
you don't want to put too much you want the piece and like the quality of the work to like speak for itself that's like the I next agree. that's like the next level i strive for with like homes or re- renovations mm-hmm. is like eventually to get to the level where people look at a certain home and they're like oh that's from that company yeah. it has to be yeah there's certain architects that i follow that when you see their work out in like a catalog or a book or something you're like I know that I know who designed that home mm. just cause like there's like those different subtleties to it. So it's cool to like, like that's why I was asking, like, do you just kind of like let the product speak for itself or do you kind of just put your mark on it? I think it's good to put your mark on furniture. Yeah. Cause it's hard to, I've bought, um, I like to buy old stuff and it's always cool to kind of like be able to like, like figure out who made it or what company this was or Mm. whatever it is like the most recent thing i bought was like um a circular you know like a grandfather clock yeah like a so like i bought one but like it's a table so when i saw it in the antique shop i was like i don't think they know what they have here and i got it for like a it was like 140 bucks. And I was like, would you take 120? And these guys like 130. I'm like, all right. And I didn't have change for that. So he took my 120 anyway. But, I got, <laughs> nice. but like, I haven't been a, like, I know the company and the time frame this clock came from, but I haven't been able to find this clock. Like I haven't figured out like what, like, like, like I can't, like, it's like, I don't know how rare this clock is now. Mm. Next because stop. usually you can kind of like on the internet. So, you can find stuff pretty yeah. easily or find something that's similar and you're like, oh, wow, this is this is a good buy. But this is like the one thing I've ever bought where I'm just like, I have no idea. Antiques so, Roadshow. Yeah, the, I'm time. going. I'm going full full blast. <laughs> You'll see me on there. Catch me on there. Like Antiques Roadshow is like the show that you like fall asleep on the couch and you wake up at like 2 in the morning and yeah. like you see some lady just trying to like auction off some like <laughs> crystal doves or something. <laughs> crystal doves. Yeah, Next up, right. Andrew Mann with his circular clock. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I couldn't find anything about yeah, it. I just couldn't yeah. find anything about it. Like, I think it's pretty valuable to her. Like, do you know what you have here? <laughs> I just take it and run away. Yeah, bro. She's like, I'm rich. <laughs> oh, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Um, I, I, th- I think I think with branding things for us, it's um, since we do a variety of of, you know, different kind of work, like w- whether it's resin or, or like on that piece, that's like a very um, sort of a blended Japanese sort of style entertainment console. So it was, it was much more different than like other stuff we make. So it's a good sort of way to authenticate, at least for us, like if, to go back and, you know, 20 years and look at early pieces. We might not necessarily remember every piece but yeah how many pieces like it's been two years or so Hmm. like how much has come out of the shop um is it like an overwhelming amount amount. considering like how little time that is because two years flies by it flies by and there's some projects that we're working on for three months alone you know but there's other projects where you know look um you know, they, they, they might look like they were extremely time-consuming, but they weren't. It's, it's funny. It seems like the ones that look like they took no time took a lot of time. And the ones that look super time-consuming probably didn't take that much time. Mm. And um, uh, it's, it's you know, like the resin stuff. Anytime we want to do resin, you know, we got to set the mold. We got to do everything. But then we got to pour it. And that resin, we don't demold it for seven days. So it's sitting there for a week. It takes up a lot of space. It'll shut down a shop real quick. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just sitting there and, uh, and then, you know, we do ceramic coating. So that's like another week after finishing. It's like, it's just, there's these steps that 
take a so long time. So you use like a ceramic polish after you do the Yeah. So do we you oil. know what cup do you know what company or like product you use? It's from Black Forest. Um and uh they make killer killer ceramic coating. Um it's 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 a it's a really expensive process to do, but it's worth it. It's like because sort of the direction that we've found ourselves falling into, really we've we've fallen into that this year is is specializing in um, the rarest wood species in the world sourced ethically. And what I mean by that is it has to fall of natural causes for me to buy it. Mm-hmm. And if it falls of natural causes and it's a, a wood species you've probably never heard of, I've probably never heard of it, I'm going to buy it. Mm-hmm. And I want it. <laughs> and um, and we, we ship it from all over the world. So know, is somebody like really out, somebody out there that's like aware of your like your rule set is just like going around, dealer? going around. <laughs> I got a wood dealer. I got going around like plug. pushing trees over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Be like, yeah. this one looks like it's going to go down in two weeks, Colin. What do you say? Yeah. You want to buy this bad boy? It's going down. That's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. like basically. I got a few wood plugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A few plugs. Yeah. I'm the, could you imagine introducing yourself as like, yeah, dude, what do you, yeah. I'm a salesman. Be like, what do you sell? And Be like exotic wood. There yeah. you go. That yeah. falls naturally. Exotic trees. But yeah. People yeah. like, could you imagine like, it's like, I, I envision the dude who had like that tiger ranch or whatever just like going around the world looking like the ti- the dude from ti- the tiger sh- ranch oh, King. Yeah, mixed tiger with King. dog the bounty hunter <laughs> <laughs> just like going around and like he gets a call and he's like eating a steak and he just be like we, we got a big one yeah it just it's just, just in the middle of the woods it just yeah. it just fell last night <laughs> bring the helicopter yeah helicopter camping out waiting for this tree to fall <laughs> yeah that's crazy. 50 <laughs> miles ma- off the grid <laughs> could you imagine just sitting there just like dude it's gonna fall we're gonna be here when it does <laughs> colin needs proof that's pretty dope yeah. like if you don't show colin <laughs> yeah, the video, video of the tree falling <laughs> yeah. like you don't get the tree nope. like nah man i need video verification yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a lot of that roots from us just trying to you know I'm, I'm a pretty green guy you know as far as like trying to not leave a negative imprint, at least, um, you know, through what we do. And, and we recognize that deforestation is an issue. So like every piece we make, we plant 10 trees, mm. you know, and, and I think that's a good step, but also we only use wood that, you know, falls of natural causes. So it's not like, you know, anybody, at least if they're, if they're trying to sell me wood they're not incentivized to go, Oh, I'm going to go chop down that tree. You know, we, we have vetted, um, you know, uh, wholesalers that, that, will sell us material and they carry that same vision. So it makes it easy, you know, and, uh, and, and a lot of the wood actually a shocking amount comes from this area. And if it doesn't come from this area, most of it comes from either, um, the upper Northwest or the Southeast, um, Lake region of, of Asia. Mm. Get a lot of cool wood out of there. A lot of like, uh, that Asian Asia, wood, dude, that Asian, you know, wood. That Asian wood. we've got it here locally in Bucks County. That's pretty cool. Um, what is going on with like the shop? Like how come, you're like where like well where is the shop like is it somewhere that like we would know where it is i think so so for people that have been in the area for a long time are going to know exactly where it is um years ago our building was uh called the aquatung marine it's an old yamaha dealer and they would On sell York boats Road. there right across from new hope winery yeah, yeah yeah so that's that's my building now and um we're renovating the whole thing we've been there out back sort of sneaking for two years um in our, in our little basement shop and we're just, we're out of space. We're growing the team, you know, we, we, we're, we're getting bigger and bigger projects and, and we just need, need bigger machinery and bigger space. So we're renovating the whole building top to bottom. Um, renovations will go through the end of the year and then we'll do like sort of a soft open, um, probably the first couple months of the year. And then we'll have a, 
a little more formal, like fun, you know, almost like a party grand opening in the spring. Are you going to have cool. like retail space? Yeah, we'll have a little showroom. Um, and, uh, and then the rest of the building is just creating whatever. More shop space. Yeah, yeah, a lot of shop space. We'll end up with like 7,500 square feet of shop space after. That'll be good. So with like your new shop design and layout, is there anything that you did intentionally or equipment that you got or things that you were trying to do with this new renovation? Well, honestly, the thing I'm most excited for is probably the easiest answer is, is, uh, we got a wide belt sander mm. and we used to sand every piece by hand from it being flattened to, you know, so like sometimes you have to start as low as 60 grit, but hopefully at least 80, you could start with all the way up. And we sell our, our resin pieces, no less than 400 grit sanded. And, um, and sometimes we go up into the thousands and, and it just, it's super time consuming. And the, and the biggest problem is apart from time consumption, you're not gaining anything by hand. You're actually hurting yourself because when you sand something by hand, it's not perfect. Exactly. And if it's, especially if it's a resin piece, which you probably have experienced, this is like, if you're, if you're dealing with resin, resin sands completely differently than, especially if you have a softwood, like a burl on either side of it. But even if you have a hardwood, it's going to sand totally differently than the resin itself. Um, so, you know, keeping it so you don't have a ridge every time the resin meets the wood is impossible to do by hand. Absolutely impossible. So by bringing in a wide belt sander <clears throat> with something called, um, like the, these new time savers have something called a platen on it, which is just basically a metal bar that keeps the, the thing flat. And it doesn't allow any sort of like shock absorption, which would sort of still sand the resin at a different rate than the wood. So it sands it dead flat, and uh, and then we still do the finished sanding by hand. So you haven't. How you haven't wide is that sander? Fifty three inches. Okay, would it have been easier to get like a CNC table? Would have been a lot more money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and uh, the CNC tables are really good for flattening, but not so good for uh, like I've never seen someone have a sander set up on a CNC table. Mm. Yeah. yeah, neither have I. I was more so saying from like a flattening thing, and then maybe taking a little bit of burden off like the sanding, but you would still have to sand because you would have yeah. all those like machine, yeah. like even the fine machine edges from like the CNC going back and forth. Exactly. Yeah. Even, even, even in the wide belt sander on really high grits, like high grits in comparison for, for wide belt sanders would be like 180 grit. That's like the highest it'll go. Um, and you still get street, you know, like straight lines from the, cause it's just, it's just a long sheet of paper. You know, I mean, you, you know, this is like, long sheet of paper and and it's just grains of you know um well it depends what it's made out of but aluminum or walnut shells or or uh you know sand or whatever glass they use to uh as the abrasive and it just leaves marks so no matter how fine it is it's still going to leave some degree of marks that you have to hand sand out so um if we can sand it up to 150 180 grit then you're sort of past the point where your human error would really be making those mistakes where you get those ridges or it ends up looking like an ocean um, so you get part, part that, uh, past that part where, you know, there could be human error and then you just, you know, really work on perfecting it by hand. And I, I think that's the right process. Um, my last question is like, can we, do you have like an online store or do you sell anything on Etsy or anything, any platform like that? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it's probably a bad time for me to do a podcast, but we have nothing open right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so our showroom's not open. Our yeah, but it's on the internet forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can see us on Etsy. You can see us on Instagram. You can see us on our website. Um, we're introducing an online store, um, early next year on our website. Uh, our Instagram store will be available as well. Um, 
uh, yeah, our Etsy store will be back live, um, uh, after the end of the year and, uh, um, and then we'll have a showroom. So all, all that is coming. That's awesome. We'll have to have you back. You have only five star reviews <laughs> on Etsy, which is important. Yeah. How many? 94 sales on Etsy. Yeah. We, we did a little test last year on Etsy where we just made sort of random things just to see what people liked. And we used, what's cool about like Etsy and some of our other like online shops is we sell items that are made at the same quality as our expensive, you know, sort of bigger items. Um, but we take the scraps from these projects and we use them to make these projects. So the overhead's much lower. We can sell them a much more reasonable cost and it keeps us from throwing away things. Mm. Um, so it, yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool. So we'll, we'll have that, all that stuff back live on the, um, uh, on, on, it'll be on the website. It'll be on Etsy. It'll be on Instagram and it'll be on, uh, in the showroom as well. In the new year. In the new year. Dude, this was a, this was yeah, a good episode. Fire. Yeah. Learned a lot about this guy. <laughs> Yeah. That was a lot of different things. This was things. awesome. So cool that you guys are right here. <laughs> yeah, dude, we'll have to have you back once yeah, you're... Uh, and it sounds like we have, like, mutual friends and stuff, so I'm yeah. pretty sure we're... We'll have gonna, to bring Dale on next time. We're going to hang out. Yeah, I've been... Yeah, we've been trying. I've been <laughs> low-key trying to get Dale on, but... Talk about his coffee shop. Talk about us. When <laughs> when I thought about asking... I've never formally asked Dale. One. I did. You did? Okay. Well, but so it, then it was, I, have, a, I have formally <laughs> asked Dale it, through my... <laughs> it was a bad time because he was having his kids. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 but I think like, now we should. The thing with Dale was I went to his coffee shop, found the coffee. I think I was the first. I was the pioneer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I heard about the coffee shop. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go try this place. So I went up there one day. I ended up coming out there with like a muffin, some candy cake thing. Uh, a cactus in a, a vial, <laughs> coffee, and like a breakfast sandwich. And I was yeah. like, this place is a, insane. And then our friend Tyler and Gilmar and I went there like maybe a week after that. And I noticed Dale a couple of times. And I'm like, dude, I know this guy from somewhere. And I had met Dale when I lived in the city. So When he was a bartender. When he was a bartender, <laughs> yeah. So... I had a friend that I hadn't talked to in a while, like text me and she was like, Oh, like you remember Dale from the city, like blah, blah, blah. And she's like, well, he opened a coffee shop, like right near your office. Like you should go check it out. And I was like, Hmm, <laughs> is it Amsterdam coffee house or whatever? And she's like, yeah, that's it. I'm like, dude, I've been going there. I'm a veteran <laughs> how, now. how good are those muffins? And they're vegan. Everything, in, everything in there. You come good. like you, he, he has a good product there. Yeah. It's a, yeah. it's an awkward location, which I think is like, been a challenge perhaps for him he could speak more to that than i can but it's um it's such a unique place that i think over time like the reputation of amsterdam will just like take a a, a firmer grasp on the local community because it's in a great place but it's also like not a great place yeah i see what you mean you, it, it's easy to drive by without noticing it because mm-hmm. it's, it's so, so far like you're, you're going around back. the curve this way if you're going north yeah you don't really see it's there if you're not like because nobody's paying yeah. attention anymore i agree who does that and then <laughs> if like you're coming the other way it's just kind of it's in a it once you know it's there it's like so convenient but it's really yeah. fine and out of that it's there but the, the place has so many cool like like the table's really cool. Just the yeah. bonsai trees are really cool. It's the only coffee shop you can go to um, where you can get, I mean, like 
10 out of 10 coffee and an, and a, a vegan muffin and a bonsai tree and a CBD joint. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, 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 you know, like, yeah. yeah. Get anything. It's got like the whole, it's got a whole unique vibe that just, yeah. I think I've never heard anybody say anything bad about it. It's no. always like over no. the top. Good. People don't really say like, Oh yeah, it was, it was a cool place. Like everybody's like, wow, the place yeah. was so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's kind of, um, now that like, it's had some time he's had some time there and success like i'm glad that it's like a hidden gem mm. yeah because like that way not every but not every peasant can get there it's <laughs> yeah. like you get you get to some of these coffee shops you know what i'm talking about you go into some of these coffee shops and it literally turns into like an instagram yeah like uh, yeah. photo shoot and you get people coming in by droves just to like be a part of the hype like yeah he has a great product it's a cool place but like you only real people know about it. Yeah, yeah. it's low key. Yeah, only yeah. the real ones. And when we when we first moved into that shop, I was still living in in Doylestown, and uh, and I would drive by it every day. Mm. So I, I think I, I mean I must have stopped in there one of the first days they opened, if not the first one. And um, now, if you go in there, I mean, for the first six months, I mean, I would go in there and like boom in out, like I'm the only person, no problem. Yeah. Now there's always other people in there every time. That's yeah. good for him. I'm super happy for him. He's uh, yeah. yeah. It's I I think right now it's at that point where, you know, he's consistently busy, but it's not like everybody doesn't know about it yet. Mm-hmm. So, but I think it will be. I th- I think it'll be super super busy. Yeah, I definitely think there's gonna reach a a, a point for him where everyone is gonna know about that place. Yeah. And I'm glad we got to appreciate it before it was like lines around the block. I told him that I was like, dude. You know, let's let's bring all this traffic over to, over to my shop. We'll put a little coffee food truck out out front. Oh, that's so cool! Dude, that would kill. Idea. It. Yeah, that would kill <laughs> it. When idea. we, I feel like, were you around when we were trying to buy that firehouse? No, but I remember you. Yeah. You told me so, about it. Yeah. like, I used to not really be into that much of coffee, and then we got a fancy coffee machine in my house, and my wife makes like the best coffee besides Dale, and. The whole reason we got the coffee machine was because we were searching for property for a shop or something. We were just like, we were looking for something to do. Yeah. And we found this firehouse for sale in New Hope, like above on River Road, just above New Hope. It's like got yeah. green trim on it. It's like a white building. You've probably driven past there yeah. a bunch of times. It's like right below um, Finkel's. Oh, like, I know exactly yeah, what you're talking so about. Like, on that side of the river. It's on the PA side, but it's like if you go where Finkel's and you come across Lambertville Bridge, you come Never into mind, New Hope and you make. About. I probably just <laughs> fucked up the directions. Anyway, it's <laughs> North Ottawa River Bridge. Right the the there's a bunch of bridge and the rivers right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you'll yeah, figure it out. Right. I'll pass um, it one of these days. So it was an old firehouse, and we were like, what could we do with this besides just put our shop and like run the construction company out of here? Because we were going to do like. Uh, we work type thing on the f- nice. top stairs yeah. or like second floor, which was like a gymnasium that had a lot of potential, but on the first floor it had these bay garages. And I was like, what if we put the wood shop in these three garages? And then over here in this like random little office thing, we built a coffee shop. So, cause like so many cyclists and yeah. people drive past there every day. I was like, if people had a reason to stop here and saw us making stuff with furniture or like making yeah. wood stuff, which we don't really do anymore. Um, like it would be like a, just a cool place, yeah. And then because it was so close to the canal and the river, and there was like some questionable septic situation going on there, we like we yeah. didn't end up like um buying it. But the people that were selling it, they own um an outdoor furniture company 
that's located like in Pipersville. It's um, okay. something like it's just a huge like international business, and they just had this like random property they were trying to sell. Oh. And then we put a bid in. Luckily, we didn't get selected. But our bid was better, but they, like, picked the person they liked better. And, like, we didn't even meet them. So I was, like, my ego was hurt. Oh, yeah, Uh, I'm like, they didn't like me. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't like my wood idea. (laughs) (laughs) So I definitely think that idea for you to, like, put, like, a little coffee, like, yeah, just do something. I don't know if the township would even allow it, but I think it'd be cool. Dude, we just don't even ask them. Power and numbers. Yeah, just do it. Just just build, like, an unruly following of Quakers and local townspeople. Just shut it down. So... At that location where I'm at now, I wasn't even going to put my business out front. I was in the basement for, uh, you know, on purpose. I didn't want, like, traffic coming in because we, we don't need, like, you know, we, we're, it's not that we don't need it. We, 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 we didn't, especially in our early days, we didn't want, you know, like, any kind of foot traffic because we had enough on our plate and we were just trying to figure out what we were and what we were doing. Mm. And we had the relationships with the interior designers that we were selling through them. So we didn't, you know, I think foot traffic at that point would have hurt us so I I wanted to. It would have been um, a distraction. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It just would have. It would have. Um, I think it would have been too much too soon, and so I was. Um, I, I submitted plans early on, like probably. I mean, at this point, it's probably over a year ago, uh, you know, and 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 for a, t- a time frame, we really started construction on the the mid floor like a month ago, mm-hmm. and uh, on the main floor there. And what I was trying to do was. Um, section off that main floor because this is like you know an abandoned building. Basically. It's a pretty big building. It's big. It's really big, and um, it's four stories, believe it or not. And it's like um, I wanted to section it off into like three, four, five, whatever retail spaces, and just make it like a cool sort of like barn style retail space. You know, higher end, but like you know, cool. And um, and the township shut it down right away. They said no. If you want to be there, um, it has to be one business. And if you ever want to do anything with the residents, uh, which there was like an apartment above it, then the only people that can live there uh, has to be either the owner of the business or the manager of the business. Can't rent it out. And I was going to redo a pole barn out back, and that's where the shop was going to be. Mm. And uh, that shut that whole plan down. So now <laughs> we just took over the whole, the, uh, the whole building. Because the man said you couldn't do it. The man said I couldn't do <laughs> what I wanted to do on my own property. <laughs> yeah, It's crazy how, how, like, you know, if you're not trying to change the use of a building, how it can still be, like, totally shut down. Like, it was a retail space. I want to make it a retail space. Yeah, and the weird yeah. thing about, like, zoning and those rules is, like, you – it's very seldom you find someone that's, like, willing to interpret the rules, like, loosely – like oh, pe- yeah. people typically are like nope this is what it's zoned is no nope. you can't do that but in, in other states like texas or a few other states where i know builders like you can do whatever you want yeah. like i'll tell them stories about like projects that we've worked on and they're like what they told you what we would have just done it like and yeah. nobody would have said anything to us and i'm Man, like that'd be sweet. <laughs> that would be sweet <laughs> yeah. but we don't live there we live in historic box county yeah. where everything's protected and the deer have more rights than we do yeah <laughs> but yeah. it yeah. is what it is um dude i'm super pumped you came on here this Thank was definitely this, this was, was definitely a great time yeah it was incredible really really cool um so people can find you on Instagram, I guess. Yeah, at Paramount Woodco on Instagram. Um, that's probably where we're the most active on a day-to-day basis. On our website, we post uh, pretty often. About to revamp that, ParamountWoodco.com, um, or just swing by in the spring. Uh, 
I guess I have one last question. Over there. I did it again. Where, why Paramount Wood Company, like woodworking, or oh my Paramount God. Wood Co.? People with a lot more marketing vision than me came up with that. I, okay. uh, I hired a, fr- uh, a, a friend of a friend, really, um, that uh, uh, he, he's from London. He's, he, he redid um, a friend of mine's business, um, um, you know, the, the visuals for that, and, and he really took over all that. I have, I mean, I, I, I am useless with social media and, like, just having the sort of vision. There he is, Marcus. He's the man. Um, he's been really involved and, uh, he's, he's sort of, um, the head of how everything looks online and, and how the storefront and every, all that's going to look. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. He's the man with that. So he came out with Paramount, like best of the best. Awesome. Well, there you have it. Um, find Colin online, uh, like subscribe to this show, uh, or, Leave us a comment. That'd be cool. We get some comments out there. Yeah, say hi. Just say hi. Tell Gilmar how good he looks. Tell me your favorite number. You know? Yeah. Tell yeah. Gilmar wants to know what your favorite number yeah, dude, is. I He's like working. seventeen. I don't know about y'all. Bro, don't even dare seventeen. Don't. I hate seventeen. Dude. Stop fucking playing. That's your least favorite number. That's my least favorite. That's number. bullshit. Out of all the numbers. <laughs> out of all the numbers. There's that's infinity least, numbers. Yeah, that's my like least 17. favorite number. Yeah. That's bullshit. Yeah, dude. dude. Well, it's like. Dude, there's a lot of reasons to have beef with 17. All right, fine. What's your favorite number? Um, Don't say 11. Dude, dude, I would never say 11. All right. That's what I thought. Um, I'm definitely, like, today I'm feeling number eight. Don't worry about you. I'm a 14 kind of guy. Okay, see, like, that's reasonable, dude. It's divisible by seven. It's an even number. 10 and seven, the two best numbers. Put them together, you get 17. Which is a prime number. Like, it's a joke of a number. No, it's not. It's the perfect number. Okay, what's 17 plus 17? 34. All right, you're okay. You're doing better. <laughs> He's sharp. He's sharp. Bro, I, was, I was mad champ. Dude, I was trying to, I was trying to catch him slipping, dude. I'll leave it on a story today. Today, <laughs> today we had to experience someone who couldn't count higher than 20 today. That's at great. At the Doylestown Electrical Supply. Oh, I got twenty. Oh, I got electricians. 20, I got, <laughs> this guy's something. I don't think he's an electrician. <laughs> I got 26 sticks of two-inch conduit, 26 sticks of one inch conduit, he said, Oh, there's just enough one inch conduit. I'm like, okay. So I got the one inch conduit. There literally was twenty six pieces. I got two inch. I used all their two inch so they'd get more. The guy comes out and he's like, You used all the twenty six or the one inch? That doesn't seem right. He comes to my truck, counts the twenty six sticks of one inch. I was like, Yeah, you you said I like whatever. And he's like, Oh no. He came back out again. He's like, let me just double check. I don't want to get in trouble. I'm like, bro, it's 26. They're in bundles of five, and there's an extra one. Like, let's get it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a lot of sympathy for you, but now I'm worried. <laughs> so Jeez. watch out for the 17, guys. Yeah, what the fuck? Um, hit us with a comment. Tell Gamar your favorite number. We appreciate you, and thanks for listening.